Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Ryan Compton is a young entrepreneur from Birmingham who is registered blind. Fueled by his frustration of the lack of patient-led services, Ryan decided to set up his own business. Ryan has also just taken part in a BBC Three documentary called Things Not To Say, and he joins me now. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio today. Now, you were registered partially sighted at the age of six. Uh, You were registered blind at the age of 21. Now, this was due to a complex form of glaucoma. Can you can you tell us a bit about your condition? As, as, as most people know, um, glaucoma is, is something that some people get with age. Um, I got it through genetics, so I got that about the age of, of six, five, six years of age. And it wasn't detected at first. The age of three, um, I was absolutely fine. I had 20-20 vision. It was in those next couple of years that the damage started to occur. And really, glaucoma in its simplest form is just that we've all got, we've all got valves in our eye that release this kind of fluid in the eye and I don't have those valves naturally so what they would try and do over a period of years is 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 try and manually make those holes in the eye or, or put tubes in there to um, to release some of that pressure um, and really what this pressure is doing is it's, it's leaning on the optic nerve in the eye which is then ended up in a resulting in in the pressure kind of going too high which is dangerous for the eye and ultimately leads to you losing your, your vision over a, a period of time. So did your sight go quite slowly over that period between the age of six and twenty-one? Then, yeah, it was a gradual sight loss. So at the age of at the age of six, um, I totally lost all all vision in the left eye, and in my right eye, I gradually started losing that, and um, it was quite destructive to me and my education because I was losing I was losing the sight gradually um, and adapting to that as a, as I was kind of going, but. What was then difficult is the amount of surgery I was having within that period of time kept kept changing and pulling me out of, of kind of school and, and just day-to-day life. And did you have to go to a specialist school or were you in mainstream school at the time? Yeah, so I started off in, in mainstream school. Um, then I went to a specialist primary school and then I got to high school, which was mainstream, but I had a unit on it spe- uh, specifically for those with a vision impairment. And then I did nine different, I think nine different attempts of college, um, some successful, only, only, I think only three of them were successful. Most of them were interrupted by surgery. So education for me was really flaky, to be honest. You know, it, it's such a shame. And we hear this with, with, you know, children who are going through the sight loss process, that they are sort of pulled in and out of school. And it really can have a detrimental effect on your education. It has never stopped you, though. And we will go on to talk about the fantastic career you have now and all the volunteering that you've done over the years. But um, <laughs> tell us about some of the challenges going through school and growing up, because you were really frustrated, weren't you? extremely frustrated an interesting one was in primary school my mum tried to get me diagnosed with dyslexia and the tests for dyslexia were very visual so they thought it was just my vision impairment I never knew that my mum tried to diagnose me with with dyslexia and when I got to my first or second year of college I thought something isn't quite clicking for me I asked for 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 a test in dyslexia and they they said at that stage you're extremely dyslexic other than your oral communication. So it was at that point I, I was able to kind of get some, you know, some intervention, some type of help there. So it was really frustrating because, like you said, there wasn't the awareness that there is today. Um, so I kind of went throughout, you know, my school days without any dyslexia support. So my English was bad. Two reasons. One, just because, you know, I didn't I, I, I was in and out of primary and high school. But then secondly, because I wasn't getting the correct support. 
It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? And, uh, you know, a mother knows her child as well. I mean, she right. must have been really <laughs> frustrated as well. Yeah, she was frustrating. And to be honest, I wasn't an easy child to teach. I mean, you know, bless her. She, she did everything she could to try and make me understand different things. Um, today, I think things are a little bit better than what they used to be. For me, the school system doesn't work for everyone. The curriculum doesn't suit everybody. And I was very much a hands-on person. You couldn't tell someone like me, you've got to do this, this and this. You kind of had to really show me. And I didn't feel that the education system was cut out to deliver the type of learning that was, was adequate and would work well for me. You know, it's it's difficult enough having a visual impairment at school, but when you're dealing with dyslexia as well, which is undiagnosed, how did you right. cope with it? Uh, I think there's a mixture of things for me. I mean, they, they do say that kind of dyslexia is just a different way of thinking. I think that's I think that's quite a, a credible point. For me, because I was always taken out of of the school system, I was often then around adults, um, and I started then advocating for myself. Um, and, and engage and I always like to engage with adults anyway so I then started getting to the point that I felt you've got it there's no question ever too daft to ask um, you, you know you're in a space where you've got to learn whether that's in the classroom or not we're here to learn so I used to just ask questions and, and I think that's kind of led me on to where I am today in a sense. You know Ryan you are incredibly lucky in the respect that um, you thought the right way and your frustrations in your kind of teenage years led you to starting up uh, a business of your own so you are a young entrepreneur and you set up the business Centre for Resolution tell us a bit about that. Growing up seeing the frustrations in myself was that no one ever asked me what's the help that you want what's the support that you want so throughout the time I've been doing youth working and, and some of the stuff that I'm still doing to this day with with the Samaritans that I do all revolved a lot around kind of befriending and mentoring so outside of college I then put myself through a variation of courses one was one was mentoring and coaching uh, did mediation I did a lot of advocate advocacy work as well uh, and put all them together and thought you know what you need to do you need to put all of this under one roof and then when people come to you and they need some help or some guidance or some support, they have the choice. They have the autonomy to be able to say, actually, this works for me. I want that type of support. So that was it in a nutshell. When I was when I was growing up, no one ever asked me, what type of support do you want? So I thought, well, why don't you try and offer a, a couple of variations of kind of real person centered um, support and but let them have the option of how they want that support. So that could be through mediation someone advocating for you mentoring or coaching um, and because of my diverse background of not just working with people with disabilities and, and going through that system and, and, and engaging with the youth but now stepping into co the corporate world as well so I can bring all of these skills and all these different things of volunteering as well as the, the qualifications I've, I've since had put it all into one pot under one roof center for resolution and and I can now kind of help other people you know and sometimes someone's just someone someone who is there for them I mean a lot of the advocacy work that I've done is is really someone coming in and listening to them our services are independent from anything else so we'll work alongside individuals and organizations um, and, and support them in a way that suits them well, Ryan, another thing I want to talk about today is the fact that recently you've been asked to be the subject of a BBC Three documentary. Now, this is things not to say. And I'm sure over the years, given everything <laughs> that we've just spoken about, and I know myself yeah. being completely blind, um, that sometimes people ask you questions that you just think, where did that come from? Tell us a bit about how right. you got involved with the documentary. came out of the blue, really. Um, I had an opportunity to interview for that that piece, and they kind of thought I'd be, I'd be credible and that it it would it would be a good feature for them so 
I thought this is great because this is now going to give us an opportunity to educate, but not in a way where we're going to tell you off. So it's things like you said, not to say to someone with a vision impairment, but it's not me turning around or anyone else in that program saying, you can't say this and you can't do that. It's really just down to earth, things that are said, have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it, uh, but educate at the same time. And I think that's the way to get around a lot of, of, lot of any kind of discrimination or not understanding is through it is through us educating, but it's also through us having a bit of humour with it as well and, and realising that. Because let's be honest, in, this, in, in the system from a young age, we're not taught about all these different disabilities and everything's so PC. Well, we're humans, we can't get everything right 100% of the time, especially if we've not been educated. So this programme, I think, will do great things, hopefully. I am totally with you in that one, Ryan. I feel that, that you know, it's not people's fault that they don't realise because... You know, there are things that, that when I could see, I'd never met a blind person before. I didn't have a clue how I would approach <laughs> a blind, blind person, what to yeah. say, what not to say. So I would have been, you know, quite nervous about it. But right. now, obviously, living with, with sight loss for 20 years, I know exactly the things you can and can't say. And actually, <laughs> I do feel that the wrong way to go about things is to tell people off because... You know, sometimes people are just trying to engage, show a bit of interest. And I think as, as blind people or partially sighted people, we are ambassadors for our disability. And we need to guide yes. people, um, you know, along the right direction, along the right path and, and what they can and can't say and what's right and what's wrong. Tell me some of the things that have been said to you over the years. So one of the funny things that happened to one of my friends, which is, I think, funnier than some of the things that have happened to me, was he was asking for directions and rather than give the gentleman the directions, they bent down and tried to give the dog the directions. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I've had that on so many occasions with my own guide dog. So, <laughs> I mean, you get that type of stuff, or like you said, there's the assumption that every person who's vision impaired has a guide dog, or you'll go in a shop and you'll ask where something is rather than them showing you they're going to say it's over there. Um, you know, you would never have asked in the first place if you could see where it was. So, there are things, but Back to your point, it's um, I remember a gentleman years ago, um, old friend of mine, and um, someone didn't know the correct terminology as to how to ask what his eye condition was and what he had. So someone said, "What's your problem?" Now they didn't mean it offensive, and they took extra, you know, he took offence, and he said, "Well, it's you who's got the problem." And I said, "Oh, Steve," I said, "You know, the problem is that I, I can see your frustration." I said, "I really can." I said, "But the difficulty with that is, is that same gentleman now." is not going to offer the next blind person he encounters help across that road. Now, it's, it's up to us to decline that help politely, and it's also up to us to educate in a polite way. And I said, I know that's a bit of a burden for us to carry, and some people have different views on it, but no one else is educating anyone. The, the, you know, the school system doesn't do that at the moment with, with disability generally. So we, we've got, like you said, we've got to be the ambassadors of that, and I just think telling someone off is never going to achieve it because they just see... The blind community is as bitter at that point, so we've got to rise above that. Um, and it goes, it goes back to like what you said—you you just learn, you, you learn the hard way. And I think you learn after a while. If you'll agree, you just you, you learn to laugh things off. You know. Oh, very much so. And you have to, because I know that I've been dragged across roads that I didn't want to cross. And if I was to turn <laughs> around and, and give people into trouble for every little thing they got wrong, I'd have nobody around me and nobody would want to help me or indeed any other blind person that they ever came across. So, you know, I think it is, you know, a matter of saying, thank you so much for taking me across that road. Do you know what? I didn't actually really want to cross it. Can you help me back right. across? <laughs> you know? And have a bit of a giggle about it. 
but yeah definitely my my dad was guilty when I started losing you know my sight it, it was funny because you know he didn't I, I didn't know the appropriate techniques to tell him to guide me he didn't know them so he used his initiative at the time grabbed me by by, by the waist and start steering me like a car you know, it's just like, it's just like you know, nowadays I'd just be like, you know, what's best if I just grab the back of your arm and just walk how you normally would, uh, try and look over to the right side to make sure I'm not bumping into anything and we'll be fine. And it's it's just like that. But I think if you feel quite positive and not, not all people with vision impairment, some people it's new or they, they, they've maybe lived a sheltered life. There's going to be different reasons. But I think, the, I think one of the keys is if us as vision impaired people become confident in our own vision impairment, then we can better advocate and better tell other people around us how to work with us. And, it, you know, that's, that's, that's maybe one way to get around it. Very much so. And that can take time. And we do appreciate yeah. that, that, you know, if some people are, are just losing their sight, then there is that, you know, kind of yeah. anger that can uh, go alongside Oof. that. And, yeah. and, you know, I've been there myself and, and I know you have too. So, yeah. you know, it, it is about time being a great healer, which is such a cliche, but unfortunately very true. Uh. No, and it's some of the work that I've done as well is is working with 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 parents, where because you've got to remember that, you know, especially with parents, when when their child comes into any disability, especially vision impairment as well, they're the experts on their child. But when a disability comes along, they're not. So they may compensate by by doing too much for the child. But at the same time, the child is a whole new thing. It's like, you know, if you learn how to drive, that's a new thing. Having a disability when you when you first engage with that, that's different. Um, so that takes time for you to learn it and then also like you said to teach other people how to work with you best and everybody's different and everybody's going to take help different so we've also got to be mindful that we don't kind of have this kind of one size fits all approach um, but like you said it just takes time to find your groove as to who you are and, and, and what works for you very much so and very eloquently put I have to say well do you know something Ryan I have to say if I was to be included in this programme they'd need about six series just to get through all the faux pas <laughs> that uh, I've kind of been through in my life you know like people asking me um, one thing people always ask me actually is is your husband blind um, mm. they just assume that your partner would be blind as well and there's nothing wrong with that but no, it's no. just an assumption that, that people tend to make and does your husband put your makeup on um oh, gosh. so yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't you let know, him anywhere how... near my face with my makeup so I, no <laughs> you know oh how are you you know ryan you know you're color coordinated today and and i'm like yeah yeah and and, and that one is frustrating i've had that as well you know in the past when have all of your girlfriends been been blind i've never had a girlfriend that's vision impaired not because i'm avoiding them just because that's i'm not around a lot of vision impaired people outside of all the time outside you know just 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 ratios of people when i'm going out i don't encounter lots of all blind people so no um but it's like you said it's that assumption and i can understand where they're coming from but um it's just education i just i just laugh now ryan thank you so very much for joining us here in rnib connect radio today the very best of luck with the future oh thank you very much for more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.